This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The, the, the winds of change are blowing through Raider Nation, and Silver and Black Today keeps you up to date with the latest news and views about your Las Vegas Raiders. Touchdown, Las Vegas! With insight, opinions, and interviews, we're on the cutting edge of what's happening now. Now, now, with the latest on your Raiders and the NFL, your host, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moten. Hey everybody, welcome back. Yes, it's time for another edition of Silver and Black Today here on this Tuesday. We hope you're still enjoying Victory Monday. And as we head into the show today, I just want to uh, give a call out. Of course, yesterday, the anniversary of September 11th, 2001. And you can see if you're watching us on video, we have a little graphic in the right corner replacing our normal silver and black today. Just want to remember everyone um, uh, who we lost on 9-11-2001 and uh, the families who were left to pick up the pieces and still do to this day, the sacrifice that they made uh, on that day, we will not forget here on Silver and Black today. And, and of course, um, I'm your host, Scott Colbrantz, and I bring in my partner, Mo Moten, who lives in New York City. And Mo, 9-11 forever changed the city, forever changed anybody who lived there. And uh, I know for you, too, you were, you were uh, a wee bit younger back then, so you went through it as a kid. Um, talk to us a little bit about your memories and uh, what it's like on, on that day in New York now when people remember? It's a day that I won't forget because someone, I don't want to put all her business out there, but my aunt had someone who was actually in the tower mm. and lost. she actually lost someone in that. So I remember that day just kind of, um, I was 15 years old, so I didn't know what was going on. Yeah, I just started the 10th grade. I'm a sophomore at John Dewey High School. I'm in Coney Island. And... You know, if you're familiar with New York City, the landscape of it, Coney Island is south, south Brooklyn. And we could see the smoke from the school window from south, south Brooklyn Mm. to to Manhattan. And I just remember at the time, not everyone had a cell phone. I had a cell phone, but it was like one of those old cinder block looking cell phones. So kids that didn't have a cell phone, they're rushing to the first floor to call to the lobby to call their parents, to call whoever to come pick them up. Everyone was just kind of frantic. And just not knowing what was going on. And then to come home and my aunt going through what she was going through was kind of a double whammy because it's one thing to kind of be distant from it and just know something terrible is going on. And then to come home and realize that someone, you know, a person that I became acquainted with, you know, was in the tower and we're trying to figure out where he is or if he made it or not. Turns out he didn't. So it was, it was a tough time in my household. But it was just 
you know, people, I know there are some people out there saying, well, it happened so long ago. It's when you, when you have an experience like that and it's so close to home, especially if you lose someone in an experience like that, you just never forget it. Yeah, you never forget, nor should we. And and, and that's the thing. It's it, just like anybody in your life, uh, a, a, a loved one, when you lose them, it, that never goes away. It's never over time. Does it get it gets easier to deal with, but you're still going to deal with it the rest of your life. And for all those families affected, I mean, I was there and I know, yes, we're going to get to Raider football here in a second, but it's important to remember this. Uh, I was in New York just a, a month after, right? Everything closed down. Finally, things open up. I actually went for on a business trip. We were staying in Midtown uh, at the Marriott Marquis, which was a base of operations for a lot of rescue workers. So every time, you know, going to the lobby, you didn't know what to expect. Of course, it was a scary, weird time to fly, especially across country at that time. And you get in and there's just, you know, there's dirt in the lobby. Now you go into a New York City hotel in Midtown Manhattan, they're always spick and span, perfectly clean. But these people were coming in working, working 14, 16 hour days. And um, so they just, you know, went with it. So we went there, ended up, I ended up, was fortunate enough at the time to go to the World Series. Uh, the World Series had resumed. The Diamondbacks were in playing the Yankees. I was there, the, the game that George Bush, the president, flew in. And through the first pitch and behind us, though, you know, you one of those moments that really hit me like a brick, Mo, was we were there. I was there with some colleagues and we were out in the bleachers at old Yankee Stadium. And um, we're sitting there and behind us is a woman and two boys and a couple other adults. And and all of a sudden, you know, the game starts and everybody was emotional, obviously, with the president throwing out the first pitch and everything was was so fresh. And then um we were sitting there and all of a sudden I hear the conversation and the, the woman behind us with the two boys, her, her husband was a firefighter and he was lost. They didn't know her at that time they had finally given in. They just figured out that he had not made it. And so it hit home for you. You know, you're at this baseball game and you're at the world series and that's cool and all that, but it was surrounding you, everybody around you in New York at that time. And everybody in the country was impacted by it. Cause also you had the Pentagon, of course, Shanksville, Pennsylvania, so we just wanted to start off the show and remember, remember that. And I know all of you that remember, if you're too young to remember it, um, it's okay. Learn about it and make sure you uh, give appreciation for all those who sacrificed on that day. Okay, we're going to get into football now. We're going to talk about the Raiders. Oh my gosh, Mo, a victory Monday yesterday. The Raiders win their opening game on the road, 17-16 against the Broncos. Uh, I know you had your Bleacher Report live show after the game, uh, which I peeked in on right before we started our show. And um, much like the chat on our YouTube channel, there was a, a lot of folks not very happy. And and I get it to, I guess, to a certain degree, it was an uneven performance at best, right? There was, it was not, I think Josh McDaniel said, hey, it wasn't a masterpiece. And that certainly is true. But for a team in transition, for a team on the road in its first big test with a brand new roster, in essence, uh, they showed some mental toughness, which I thought we did not see a lot of last year. And so I think you got to start there. But I want to get your top line observations on Raiders performance overall and what it meant for them to win a game like that on the road with this new roster. The way I look at this, and someone said this in the Bleach Report live stream, it felt like that was the game that they would have lost last year. Mm. And I don't want to lay that on the shoulders of the previous quarterback. No. I know I did mention it during my live on Sunday. 
But if you look at those last possessions that the Raiders had, Jimmy G throws an interception in the red zone. He said, I, re- I remember watching the broadcast. He goes over to the to the sideline, kind of pounds on his chest to say that was my fault. Goes back out there in the final possession, drives the drives the field down, uh, drives down the field, throws the touchdown pass, right? Then to ice the game, he has an eight-yard scramble for our first down. <laughs> now, to me, that those are two, those are that's winning football. Now, remember, I balked back at the people who said, Oh, Jimmy G's a winner. Well, he proved me wrong for at least the first week that he can do it without a an elite defense. Because I said Jimmy G is going to be a different quarterback than he was in San Francisco because he doesn't have that elite defense with him. But in a close game, he was the closer because the defense had its hiccups, right? What I know they only the Raiders only gave up sixteen points. It was you know some missed kicks in there, but if you look at Jimmy G's performance and you look at what he did in his last few drives, it really points to him being. A winning football player. There are football players out there who put up great stats. It looks good in the box score. And there are guys who just make winning football plays. And that's what he did on Sunday. So that was my main takeaway from it. Of course, there are a lot of nuts and bolts that we'll go through today and through the week about, you know, the 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 crux of the win and how it unfolded. But I think it was a game, if I would sum it up, that, that was a game that they would have lost last year, that they won this year. And I think that that's a that's a reason for optimism. It's a great point, and I think that you're you're you have been very vocal about. Hey, Jimmy G was a winning quarterback, absolutely in San Francisco, but man, did he have a good cast around him, and 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 that was fine. That's not disparaging him. That's not putting him down. It's pointing out the obvious because the Raiders do not. I mean, you saw what the 49ers did on the road in Pittsburgh on Sunday. That's a good defense, man. That is the best defense in the NFL, in my view. Now, I guess some people would argue Philly. I know you Eagle fans out there, if you're watching, we have a few that watch us, um, are going to disagree with me and think the Eagles are. But I will tell you <laughs> that I, I agree with you. I think that's the difference you see here is you see a team that when the chips are down um, last year, I think things just didn't. Now, maybe, maybe that was partly quarterback, not all his fault. Maybe it was mm-hmm. partly attitude. Maybe it was partly buy-in from the entire roster. I think that more than than any single player, it's the culture and the buy-in. We've been talking about that. I'm not saying this team's going to win 11 games, folks. I'm just saying <laughs> they buy in. And if they win together, they win together. If they lose together, they're going to lose together. That's a big deal when you're trying to build a roster and build a championship-caliber franchise over time. And just quick point, I don't – I want to make this clear. When I say this, like, that's a game the Raiders would have lost last year. I don't. I'm not putting that all on Derek Carr. I'll say his name. I'm not putting that <laughs> on Derek Carr. I'm saying if Derek Carr was a quarterback, because of him, they would have lost that game. What I'm saying is, last year, as you kind of alluded to, was it seemed as though when the things went sour for the Raiders' offense, it just never. They just never able to come back from it. This on Sunday, as I said, Jimmy Garoppolo makes a critical error. Throwing that, throwing that ball in the in the in the, in the uh, end zone when he should have just thrown it away, threw it into coverage, and he paid for it with a turnover. But to come back on the field, lead a touchdown drive, and then to to get that first down to ice the game, to me, it, it more than made up for it because the Raiders come away with the win because of it. And Mo, I mean, look, it was it was it was an ill advised pass on what was designed as a really nice play, and if if Jimmy G looks in the center of the end zone, guess who's standing there? 
Devonte Adams wide open. Okay, so so he he just read it. He just read it wrong. He went to the wrong side. Uh, the play was designed, and people were criticizing Josh McDaniels, and we'll get into that a little bit later, saying that he didn't call a good game. Now there was a couple calls, but every game there's a couple calls where you're like, "Ooh, why are you doing that?" That happens in every NFL game. It really does. But in that particular play, they finally—I don't know why they didn't do it earlier—because Patrick Sertain was was Sertan was was guard, was uh, covering, excuse me, Devontae Adams. They finally lo- line up Adams in the slot, so he's lined up one on one against another defensive back, against the safety. So guess what happens? He's wide open, and Jimmy <laughs> he just misses him. But again, that happens. See, to me, that's what I take away from this game is this team is not going to be perfect. But what I don't know is you're not going to ever have a team, especially one that's rebuilding, who's going to have four perfect quarters. The Raiders were uneven on defense. Defense was even at times poor in the first half, Okay, letting Russell Wilson have time. They didn't get a lot of pressure. Coverage, of course, we had Jacorian Bennett get beat on that long ball and the penalty at that point on, on Marcus Peters. All that stuff happened. But guess what? In the last few minutes of the game, when they had to make a stop on third down and hold Denver to a field goal, what did they do? So save me the sanctimonious crap about this defense isn't good enough. When they had to do it, Mo, they did it. And that's actually what counts. You can only beat. The team that's in front of you, you know, we're yeah. worried about Buffalo later in the week, but they were able to beat Denver in Denver. And I think that's a big deal because a lot of people expect Russell Wilson to be better under a Super Bowl winning head coach in Sean Payton. Both teams had ample time to prepare for each other. So a lot of, a lot of times, with the exception of a few games, most of the divisional games are going to be pretty close. Like I said, Seattle didn't get the memo on that with the Rams. But <laughs> most of these divisional games, e- I mean, even the Colts and the Jaguars were close. I know the score says 31-21, but that game was tight until the oh, end. Yeah, And that's a, that's a Colts team that's also rebuilding. So um, I, I got to give credit to the Raiders um, for their win. Both sides of the ball came up at certain points. I understand the defense isn't, isn't you know, up to par for some people. But as you as you pointed out, when when they needed to stop, I think it was Divine Diablo who leaped in and knocked the ball away. Yes, on the uh, in down. the end zone. So, yeah. the, you know, there there there's something there. How good is the defense? We'll see as the season goes on. I still want the Raiders to get a linebacker. We'll see if they they they've been almost defiant that they're not going to go out and get one. But um, as far as Jacorian Bennett, a lot of people came in the, my live stream and was saying they're worried about Jacorian Bennett. And I'll say this, and I'm not making excuses for Jacorian because I like him, but as a rookie cornerback, getting your first taste of NFL action in regular season, I'm not expecting him to look like Chant Bailey out there. You know, <laughs> I know he what? made some mistakes and 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 let go of a long ball, but I'm not going to hit the panic button yet. I, I I would have to see him for a few games before I say, okay, he's not ready to start. Get someone else in there. So not panicking. Raiders made enough plays. They get the W, 17-16. That's what matters. And by the way, and we'll get a little more into some some specific player um, performances, but I'll tell you what, Jacorian Bennett, people are always oh, everybody talking about this guy in camp. Like he's so great. He got burned. Let me tell you, some of the greatest DBs ever played. They can get burned all the time, too. It happens. And number and to your point about being a rookie, I just like the fact, and Murph and I talked about this on the postgame show. I like the fact that the Raiders finally have a physical defensive back. Okay. 
if he gets some some PI calls this season because he's playing tight coverage and he gets a little handsy, I'm okay with that. Because guess what? Eventually he'll learn how to manage that well enough where he's not getting caught doing it. He does it just enough to impact the coverage without getting a penalty. And that's a good thing. That shows the kid is is on he's got the brain to do the job and he's got that physical nature. They just have not had that in the Raider defensive backfield. It's nice to see it. He's going to be just fine. Stop picking on Tyree Wilson being too slow. Yes, he was slow at times. He also showed a couple flashes here and there. But if you listen to this show, Mo and Scott have been saying for three months, it's going to take them three, four, maybe even five games to get up to speed. So I think he's right. But we'll talk about him when we come back, Mo. You want to say something before we go to break? No. We'll, no? we'll get him on the other side because there's a lot sure? to talk about with Tyree Wilson. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> because there's a lot to unpack with Tyree Wilson. There is a lot. And we'll get to that. Uh, coming up here after the break. You're with Mo and Scott. This is Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast. Oh, I forgot to remind you, if you don't already subscribe, make sure you do wherever you get your audio. Thanks to the audience on YouTube for watching and for subscribing. And also, when we come back from the break, I want to give a shout out to a great fan of ours uh, out on the East Coast. So we'll get to that when we come back. This is Silver and Black today. Don't go anywhere. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back. Yes, we are allowing you back onto our plane. Yes, this is Silver and Black today. We're on a flight to nowhere. No, we're on a flight to bring you the latest in Raiders information. Uh, We are an Odyssey original podcast. We appreciate your subscription. Put on the auto download. That helps us out significantly. Um, My partner, by the way, we got off. We started off the show with the 9-11 Remembrance. My partner, Mo Moten, is a senior NFL writer over at Bleacher Report covering the NFL. He also covers the Raiders for sportsnot.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Mo Moten, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. You can follow me, your host, Scott Branson, at LV Gully on Twitter, as well as reading my stuff up on sportsnot.com where I cover the NFL and other things. So uh, check it out. We certainly appreciate you. The show is SNB Today. Uh, by the way, before we get started, too, want to do a quick little shout out. We have a good friend on Twitter. Um, excuse me. We have a good friend who contacted us via Twitter or email. I can't remember which one. Uh, and her name is Claudette. And and her dad, she sends us pictures. Her dad, Mo, owns uh, and runs a, 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 a men's store in Norfolk, Virginia uh, called Stark and Legum. Stark and Legum. I'm going to show this up on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. I'm showing them her website because I want to give wow. a shout out to Michael Benton because Michael or Mike um, plays our show in his store. And I didn't bring that picture up. I should have brought that picture up. And by the way, Mo, you can see this. See that white hat on the left there? I see it. That's the Midtown Mo hat right there. Oh my gosh. Come on, I like man. The bl- I actually like the black one. You like the black one better? Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I, that's okay. And then even look at he's even got Navy Indiana Blue. Jones. He's even got the Indiana Jones fedora mm-hmm. for those that you that partake. Anyway, look at the shoes. Stark and Legum, if you're in Norfolk, Virginia, and you need menswear, go there. 
because uh, he's a big Silver and Black Today fan, a big Raiders fan. And Mike, we appreciate you having us on in your store, uh, especially because, um, you know, we, we, without you and without folks watching and listening to us, we wouldn't. And I'm going to go here. I think there's a picture. I can't remember. Mike, I don't know if one of these is you. I think it is. I think you're the one on the left there. I could be wrong or the one at the top. But anyway, a great story about the history of this business, which started in 1924. And so if you need menswear, hats, you name it, they even have a VIP hat club, which I might need to do. Um, but you, if you need, because it is a haberdashery, say it with me, haberdashery. Yes. So I just want to give a shout out. He's a big fan. He plays our um, show in his store a lot. So so uh, make sure you go buy Stark and Legum if you need menswear, hats, you name it. They got everything there, including suits. I got to get Mo in a suit. Oh, that would be the day, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't wear them anymore either. Like I, I have two. I think the last time I bought a suit was maybe five years ago. Um, one, I they're a little snugger than they need to be, but they still fit. But yeah, I, I, was, have, I haven't had to wear I, one much. I was always raised to have a, a, a ready-made suit in the closet just yeah. in case, you know. Weddings, so I do funerals. have, yeah, I do have a suit in the closet ready to go just in case. Something good happens. Someone's getting married. You know, you want to call me in for a cameo. I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm ready. Uh, may have to contact Lynette's dad to get myself, you know, yes. tip top shape to be ready. But it was pretty cool getting that email from her. And because yeah. it's twice now she, she has showed uh, a photo of the store through email just showing us up on the screen. I just remember being a young kid going to these clothing stores and you know, they have their screens up and whatever's on there. And just to imagine walking into a store and seeing us up on the screen, it would be surreal. So shout out <laughs> to him would for doing be. that. Especially, you know, he's, although I have to say there is a bunch, I don't know what it is. Our good friend, Kev, who we, we, we interact with Twitter all the time. Um, a lot of, there's a lot of Raider fans in Virginia. I don't know. I, I probably because they're like me. They're over 45. And so during the heyday of the Raiders, they were either a kid or in their formative years. So there's a lot of fans. Like like I said, this podcast has listened to a lot of folks in New York City. So down in Virginia, there's an enclave there as well. And, and the fact that Mike uh, is playing us in a store is really cool. So thank you, man. We are, by the way, going to work through, we're going to send to the store for you some swag. We're going to send you some silver and black today. Uh, gear as well as the 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 mighty Midtown Mo T-shirt, because you know we gotta do that. And so you just have to put it on and maybe maybe put on one of your cool hats or put on one of your coats and send us a picture back in so we can we can share it with folks. But thank you, Mike. We appreciate you and we hope that you uh, do great business. And if we can bring at least one customer to you, uh, we would be very very happy. Okay, we're gonna talk about Jimmy Garoppolo first, Mo. Uh, the Garoppolo era begins, and of course. Why don't talk about Derek Carr? Why are you talking about Derek Carr? Well, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo both had good days yesterday. Their teams both won, both come from behind victories. So one side or the other can't go bitching about the other side <laughs> and how one quarterback's better than the other, right? I'm, at least that's what I'm thinking. But I will tell you this: what what's what hit me like 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 a brick wall was just watching Garoppolo in the game yesterday. Because he's he's a different player than the former quarterback. He plays the game a little bit differently. He has some of the same strengths, some different strengths. And overall, what I thought of, and I and it's on the graphic on the video, which is 
right player for the right time. We talked about Jimmy Garoppolo from the beginning being a system player. And if you look at what he does, he finds the plays, except for the, the, the terrible throw in the end zone, he finds the plays given to him within the structure of the system and that specific play call. And to me, that for, that's what Josh McDaniels needs. For him to coexist with a quarterback, just like Tom Brady did in New England with Bill Belichick, they have to be on the same page and they have to know their limitations and they have to stay within it. I saw a lot of that yesterday, Mo. Do you agree with me on that? You saw a lot of it through the play calling. I, I think that Jimmy Garoppolo, even though he didn't play a lot in the preseason, I believe he had just one drive, seemed pretty comfortable in Josh McDaniel's offense. Now you would understand the previous quarterback not going to seem, not going to look all that comfortable because it's first time working with Josh McDaniels. But I remember a lot of people saying, well, Jimmy Garoppolo and Josh McDaniels haven't worked together in years, so I'm not expecting it. They weren't expecting it to click right away. But when a quarterback understands the system and the, and the play caller understands the quarterbacks, as you said, strengths and their weaknesses, uh, you usually would get something pretty close to crisp. And Jimmy Garoppolo was pretty close to crisp on Sunday. I believe he was 20 for 26 passing for about yep. 200 yards. Mm -hmm. So minus the red zone interception, and that's not on that's not on Josh McDaniels. That's on Jimmy. I felt like Josh McDaniels devised a pretty good game plan for his quarterback, and you could tell by the way he was, by the way Jimmy was efficient in the pocket. Most certainly, and I think as well, I saw Jimmy Garoppolo, who is never going to be known as a mobile quarterback. <laughs> Let's set that straight now. But when he had to use his legs, he didn't hesitate. The lack of hesitation to me, I think, is that comfortable nature of being in that system, being familiar with it, being familiar with your coach, all that stuff. And that's why I say perfect player for the right time as a bridge quarterback, especially because he's going to have that level of comfort. The the play that ended the game, the eight-yard scramble, right, when with the incredible block, by the way, by Josh Jacobs on that play to free up the room for Jimmy Garoppolo to run – but you saw that. That was the kind of play that Josh McDaniels looks for from his quarterback. He doesn't want a running quarterback. He'll never draft a running quarterback, by the way, for Raider fans who want some <laughs> dual-threat quarterback. Um, but nonetheless, that's what worked for him. And I think, again, even though he almost got injured on the first series, and I was just like, this can't be happening. I um, <laughs> it was crazy. Um, yes. And, and Aiden O'Connell, of course, was the emergency quarterback yesterday. He wasn't on the active roster. But anyway, I, I think you saw it there. You saw the clicking with Jacoby Myers. Those two have a chemistry. Quarterbacks always seem to find at least one receiver that is always on the same page with them. It happens to be Jacoby Myers, which is which is great for him. Maybe not great for Hunter Renfro. But overall, and he got, he got Devontae Adams involved a little bit. There needs to be more comfort level with him finding Devontae Adams because that's your best wide receiver. Um, what about that? What about the distribution of the ball on Sunday? What did you see there? What was good? What needs to get better in your view? Well, it's clear to me that Jimmy Garoppolo feels comfortable with both J Jacoby Myers, who I believe had nine catches, 81 yards, two touchdowns before he was knocked out of the game by just a Bush League move from Kareem Jackson. Mm -hmm. And uh, Devontae Adams, I believe, had nine targets. So 
those are the two guys he was targeting for most of the game. And then I think Josh Jacobs had three targets and everyone else who got a target only got one target. So there were people out there saying, what about Hunter Renfro? What about Michael Mayer? What about Austin Hooper? Why did those guys get more targets? Jim Garoppolo has to spread the ball around. Yes, he does. But I, I feel like in your first game, even though he is comfortable in the system that he's playing in, you throw to the wide receivers you have the most trust in. Mm-hmm. And I think he had the most trust in, it, apparently, Jacoby Myers and Devonta Adams. I think Jacoby Myers' performance is important to note because Devontae is going to see double and triple teams and safety help over the top. Somebody has to be able to take advantage of their one-on-one opportunities. And on Sunday, it was Jacoby Myers. So that was good to see with Jimmy Gar- uh, with him and Jimmy Garoppolo hooking up. Going forward, of course, as I just mentioned, you want to see Jimmy G spread the ball a little more to the tight ends uh, and to the secondary or terrestrial wide receivers. Right. And there was only one target of a tight end. It was the big turnaround catch by Austin Hooper, a huge catch for the Raider team on that drive. And Michael Mayer didn't have a good game. Uh, He had the one terrible holding call uh, where he grabbed the guy's jersey, didn't even need to do it. So so Michael Mayer is still struggling a little bit. He's got to get up to speed with the game. I think he's going to be fine. Your bold Mm -hmm. prediction on him leading all uh, rookie tight ends in touchdowns, yards, and catches, I think will come true. But again, game one, it's going to take a little bit of time. And I think that what's interesting, what I saw too, was because of the limitation, and, and you have to give Denver's defense some credit, Mo. I mean, they didn't play terrible. They played a good game. They really, especially up front, although I have to call out because I still see a lot of you telling me how bad the Raiders' offensive line is. They did not give up a sack yesterday, which which is a good a good stat against a pretty good defensive front for the Denver Broncos. So you look at that and you say, okay, it's going to take a little bit of time. But I didn't see Josh McDaniels yes, or excuse me, on Sunday, Mo, really open up the playbook very much either. It was pretty limited, and I think that was on purpose to get everybody comfortable. I think you're going to see that. Oh, we didn't see uh, two tight end sets maybe once or twice. I think I, I caught it, uh, and, and they were never targeted on. I think you're going to see a lot more – as we move along, and in Buffalo, I think they're going to have to do it uh, and and open up that offense a little more and and try to try to catch catch Buffalo off guard. One thing I noticed about the player calling on Sunday. Now, remember, we had Benjamin Albright on the show last week, and what did he say? He said, and we asked about the defense. He said the defense is going to be pretty good yeah. because I think you asked him. You know, the defense has been top five in recent years. Been, has been pretty good. What do you think about the defense? And he said the defense is going to be pretty good. And I said this during my Bleach Report live stream that he was saying, well, Josh Jacobs, he, 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 you know, he didn't go off like he usually does against Denver. And I'm, and I'm telling people that Josh Jacobs has ran through the Denver defense in the past three games. You don't think they're preparing for that? So yes. I, I think you got to give Denver a bit of credit. They also signed Zach Allen in, in, in the uh, in Frey this offseason. So they beefed up their front line, even though they lost Draymond Jones. But one thing I did notice about the play calling that a lot of people are not bringing up is, yes, the pass blocking was pretty good. The run blocking, not so much. Yeah. But you know what they did? They brought in Thayer Mumford as a sixth offensive lineman a lot. Now, I know he also Jumbo played right end. tackle. Right. Jumbo tight end. Also, they, they, they rotated Thayer Mumford Jr. and Jermaine Luminar at right tackle, yes. But there were times where they were both on the field at the same time. Yep. Sometimes Thayer Mumford was on the left side of the offensive line. So – to your, to your point about protecting Jimmy G, not taking a sack, there was some play calling built in there to make sure Jimmy G stays upright, and sometimes they had six offensive linemen on the field. I think that's important to note. It is important to note, and, and I'll have to go back as I watch the game tape again. 
and see how successful they were during those downs, right? And and getting the ball where it needs to go. So I I, I think though that that they did a good job there. And to your point, listen, it's the NFL. Unless you're playing a team that is just completely brutalized by injuries, I mean, look what look what Arizona did on Sunday, right? With the, with the Commanders, nobody was everybody. Oh, they're going to win one or two games. Well, look, it's the NFL, folks. These are pro players. They're playing not only for money but for pride. And so, when you go against a team, a divisional game on the road, it's never easy. I don't care how many in a row you've won against a team; it's still a tough game. And I think that Denver played well on defense. That's why you won with 17 points, but you won the game. And so, very interesting. So, so that's Jimmy G, and I think he, you know we'll continue to see him get more comfortable with the surrounding cast. And if the line can protect him continually, then uh, things can go very, very well. Let's jump across to the uh, the defense. We talked about Tyree Wilson, and, and you, you put a bookmark on that as we were going to the last break. A lot of folks talking about Tyree Wilson looking really, really slow, absolutely at times. There were a couple downs where I saw what I think all the scouts saw, but it was few and far between. We've been preaching patience here, Mo. Uh, he's been put into play into more snaps than probably they wanted to. The Chandler Jones situation certainly helped dictate that. We saw Malcolm Coons, who did really, really well at times on Sunday. But give me your impressions of Tyree Wilson, concerns, and what he needs to do between now and maybe week three and four to perhaps start to turn some heads and change some minds. I don't know how many times I've said this on our show, on my Bleach Report live stream, but, and you said, and you just said it, you have to be patient with Tyree Wilson, okay? For the people out there, Tyree Wilson sucks. He's a bust. <laughs> Should have drafted Jalen Carter, which is never going to happen because yeah. we all know why. You got to have to give Tyree Wilson some a few weeks. I, as I've said, he's missed just about all of training camp recovering from foot surgery. He played 12 snaps in the preseason. That may be fine for a veteran, not for a rookie. When you're a rookie, you need all of those snaps from rookie minicamp all the way through training camp. He had 12 preseason snaps, maybe a couple of practices. Give him some time to develop. Now, people are criticizing. I saw clips floating around Twitter X. He's slow off the snap. You know, he's not one of those guys who times up the snap. He's not the Kansas City Chiefs tackle getting out early, right? <laughs> so, and if you watch this show, and I, I believe I wrote about this, one of the criticisms about Tyree Wilson at Texas Tech was he is slow off the snap, slow off the ball. That That's not, I don't think that's going to change very much this year. Now, he could probably work on that. And I made this point on a previous show that the, the point of, bringing him in next to Chandler Jones, who is quick off the snap, was Chandler Jones would be able to kind of help him in that area to get off the ball a lot sooner after the snap so he can get a, a jump on the quarterback. So if you're if you're looking for a defensive player to get off the ball quickly, you know, read the scouting reports. That was one of the major criticisms of Tyree Wilson's game. The other thing was, and my guy over there at Draft Network, uh, Damian, does a very good job at breaking this down. He said Tyree Wilson wasn't a polished product. And that goes back to my point why he needed those off-season snaps at OTAs, at mandatory mm-hmm. minicamp, at training camp. Because while he is, I believe, 23, 24, not the most polished prospect coming out of Texas Tech. So there's a lot for him to learn. He has to put together a pass rushing plan. That's what I want to see from him going forward was when you go, when you go out there and you're at the line of scrimmage and you're an edge rusher, it's not just 
going up against the other guy and, and, and physically dominating him to get to the quarterback. You have to have a plan, you know, and then some of it comes from studying. Some of it comes from you, what you're able to do as a pass rusher. But what I saw from Ty Wilson that's not concerning, but that he's going to have to work on is he has to be able to set up his pass rushing moves. He can't, you can't just bull rush guys on the pro level because you're bigger and stronger than them because right. everyone, most of the people, not most, all everyone on the NFL offensive lines, these defensive linemen, they're big and strong guys. It's not like college where there's a discrepancy between some of the top recruited guys or bigger and stronger than some of the less recruited guys. The five-star guys, just bigger, faster, stronger than the one-star guys, right? That's not the case in the NFL. You have to have a plan when you're rushing the quarterback. Tyree Wilson doesn't have a plan yet, but that's what the coaching staff is there for, to help them in that area. And, and I understand people's reluctance to just accept what you just said, Mo, because of what's happened with this team and its drafts in the last four years. Mm-hmm. At the same time, that's the past. If you want to live in the past, you can live in the past. But it's going to doom your future because you're not going to <laughs> see the road ahead of you. You're only seeing the road behind you. So if that's the case, you have to give the kids some time. We live in a time where everybody wants instant gratification and everybody wants to compare one situation to another situation, which is not comparable. So you can't compare one player's performance to the other, depending on the circumstance, especially a player coming off an injury. Now, if we're if we're at the end of the season and he still looks like this, okay, I can see you being concerned. But again, 12 snaps in the preseason, that's nothing for a rookie who's coming back from a major foot injury, by the way. So you have to give him the time to develop, and I think that's going to happen. So so don't compare him to Jalen Carter. They're different players, every, every, just completely different situations, and, and just move forward and see what he's able to do. Uh, I, I think you'll see improvement there. That's what the tape is for. That's what coaching is for. As our good friend and and serial emailer to the show, Gary Harkenreader says, ABC, always be coaching. And that's what's got to happen. This team, this coaching staff, they got an incredible asset in, in Tyree Wilson. Like you said, Mo, raw. It's now their job to mold him and create a player. By the way, he's got a guy on the other side, Max Crosby, who is the perfect example of everything you just said. You have to have a plan. You can't just bull rush. You gotta. Ha- you gotta know what you're doing. You gotta have moves. You gotta understand how to attack the guy across from you. And he's got the guy there. So so he's got the people in the building to teach him this. So give him some time and see how it, it goes. Um, before we head to the break, Mo, one last group that I want to touch on because we talked about them a little bit earlier with Jacorian Bennett was the defensive backs. This was also a mixed bag, but again, at the end of the game when they needed to play their best, they did. Marcus Peters did appear to be, I think, a step slower than I expected him to be. Trayvon Morig played well at times, played poorly at times. We saw Marcus Epps as well seem a little bit lost at the beginning of the game. He seemed to come on in the second half as well. Um, What were your overall impressions of that group? Um, and and how much better do they need to get before they go face that guy up in Buffalo named Josh Allen? Trayvon Merrick has to be better. If he wants to hold on to his job, yeah. <laughs> he has yeah. he's going to have to be better. I, I was not uh, at all impressed with him. You, you mentioned he, he also got banged up with a thumb injury, but that's not, a, that's not an excuse. He did come back in the game. He's got to be better if he's going to lose his job. Because remember, 
this coaching staff inherited Merrick. They didn't draft him. That was the Mayock Gruden regime that drafted Merrick in the second round. So when you're when you're not a guy who was drafted by the current coaching staff and in front office, you have a lot more to prove than the guys that they drafted. Um, so he's got to be better. Marcus Epps, I think he came along well in the second half. I, he did make some plays. Would have had a big fumble force on Russell Wilson if Marcus Peters had not had an illegal contact penalty called on him. So his, you know, his day would have looked a lot better had that, you know, been a been a been fair game, but it wasn't. Marcus Peters, he he's a cover guy. Uh, look, he's not gonna be your top tackler on the back end. That's Nate Hobbs, but you're yeah you're bringing him there to cover, not to make tackles in the backfield. So there were times where he you know he missed some tackles and had that penalty. Not good. I thought I thought overall the Raiders defense, and I said this on my live stream Sunday. The Raiders defense has to be better at tackling. One one play that made me pull my beard hair out was watching Samaj P. Ryan catch a ball and go like oh. 30 yards down the field up the sideline. And and guys are just bouncing off of him. Now, how many years are the Raiders gonna have to work on something basic like tackling? Yeah. I said this during my live stream. Tackling is effort and technique. They can fix that right yeah. away and they need to. I'm glad you brought up that play though, because because one of my other gripes, you know, I've been griping about it. And and there was some good play, so I, I give credit where credit is due. But how freaking slow is that linebacking core? Not only can Spillane. they tackle, they are, <laughs> look. And Spillane had a couple nice plays, disrupt, disrupting the line and and making some backfield tackles. But I, I'm not convinced that I couldn't beat him in a 40 yard dash. That's how <laughs> slow he is, and I'm slow. I have a piano on my back. He's that. I mean, that P Ryan play was a great example because they leak out. He leaks out mm -hmm. of there and nobody can catch him. So Dave Ziegler, he wouldn't give us an interview, but if he did, I'd say, dude, you cannot tell me you don't need a linebacker who can play in coverage because you, you don't have one. You just don't. And Diablo had some nice plays. I had people complaining about Diablo. But but again, this is the unit it is. You you can't get angry about it. You can't expect guys to play above their talent level. Uh, but certainly the tackling, no question. I, I don't understand it. It seems to be an NFL-wide problem. Some te teams don't have the problem, but overall, I see it all over the place, and it's it's perplexing. One thing I will say to end on a positive note: Nate Hobbs looks looked fantastic. He did. He, yes. he he had he. I believe he led the team in tackles with twelve, and I believe he had two tackles for loss. This is your slot cornerback. I, he may be the best tackler on the on the back end of that defense between the linebackers and the cornerbacks and safeties. Nate yeah. Hobbs may be the best tackler of the group, and and to see him back in the slot and doing his thing, I, I think that's what everyone was looking for. He's a natural in the slot. Please leave him there. Glad you brought it up because I know we focus on the deficiencies a lot, and I know fans are heavily focused on the deficiencies from Sunday, but that was one of the great, bright moments coming out of that defensive effort for the Raiders. Nate Hobbs continues to show why he is universally liked by coaches, players, and fans. All right, I'm going to step aside for our final break. When we come back, the show rolls on here on Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast. Don't you go anywhere. Welcome back, home stretch here on Silver and Black today, an Odyssey Original podcast. We appreciate you subscribing wherever you get your audio. Scott Branson, Mo Moten, as we take you home on this Tuesday and start to maybe turn the page a little bit, look forward. Of course, we will drop more shows the rest of the week. Tomorrow, we might sneak in a mailbag or a, a Silver and Black Blitz, followed by our full show on Thursday. Guest announcement coming very soon. 
So stay tuned for that. And for our viewers on YouTube, thank you very much. Make sure you subscribe and hit the notifications bell. Okay, Mo, couple couple conversations that kind of leaked out over some time after the game was, hey, Jacoby Myers, we still don't know. He was concussed. We're hoping he'll be available for Buffalo. The way the NFL has done the, the concussion protocol, they're always going to side on the side of caution, and I agree with that. They should. You're talking about a man's life. So if Jacoby Myers is not ready, he's not ready. So we'll see if he clears protocol by Wednesday. If he doesn't, then it won't look good for him to get out there on Sunday, in my view, if it goes past Wednesday. So we'll see. There's media availability on Wednesday, so we'll get a, probably an update at that point as well when the official report comes out. But Jacoby Myers, as you mentioned, two touchdowns in that game, 81 yards re- receiving, coming in that slot position, which now brought up you know one of the fan favorites out there, Hunter Renfro, was not targeted. It was his first pro game without a catch. Um, I don't. I'm not writing off Hunter Renfro yet because listen, you, you, Myers is injured. Number one, number two, the flow of a season. You never know what's going to happen. You never know. Not only injury, God forbid, anybody gets injured, but the the performance. All all kinds of things can happen. So Hunter Renfro is an asset that the Raiders have in their 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 cash box. But I will say this. Watching Jacoby Myers play that position and the connection he has with Jimmy Garoppolo makes it harder, if healthy, for Hunter Renfro to get on the field more than we saw, which is a few times a game. And maybe if maybe he's lucky, gets a target here and there on a check down or something. Uh, what's your view on this and what does it mean for Hunter Renfro? Is he still a candidate, Mo, to get traded? Absolutely is. He's stuck between the Raiders present and their future and what i mean by that is jacoby myers is obviously the present right now he as you just said as we pointed out throughout the show he has a clear connection with jimmy garoppolo he's going to probably finish the season with the second most targets on this team the raiders also drafted a wide receiver in the third round trey tucker let's not forget that assuming he comes along he's going to see his snap count go up as the season goes on so where does hunter Renfro fit in that equation if you remember I had a scenario, I put out a scenario out there for Raider fans to talk about, and I said, would you rather have Hunter Renfro on a roster, finish the season with 25 to 30 catches, or would you rather trade him, package him with the draft pick to trade for a linebacker? And a lot of people said, no, you got to keep Hunter Renfro. And I said, it, based on the Raiders' moves this offseason, bringing in Jacoby Myers, drafting Trey Tucker, keeping DeAndre Carter, who can also play in the slot, you had to expect that Hunter Renfro's role was going to be reduced. I'm not writing him off like you either, but I don't I don't expect a lot from Hunter Renfro if, if the Raiders keep him. Because as I just said, Jacoby Myers is going to be the main guy behind Devontae Adams, it seems as though. And then Trey Tucker, assuming he continues to develop, he's on the come up. He's a third round pick. The Raiders didn't pick him in the third round to have him collect dust on the sideline. He's going to have his opportunities as the season goes on, at least I would hope if you're going to draft a guy in the third round. So Hunter Renfro to me is with those guys on the roster, he's expendable. And I like Mm -hmm. Hunter Renfro. We've had him on the show. He's a fan favorite. But the way the Raiders have constructed the the wide receiver room, I'm not saying they don't need Hunter Renfro, but they're not totally reliant on him in the slot anymore because they have two other options there now. Agreed. And and I'll go this far because we both have, we both have the same feelings about Hunter Renfro. Good guy. Um, talented receiver, 
But I don't think he fits in the plans. I just don't think he fits in the plans for the Raiders, and I don't think he's the right mold for this coaching staff. Now, you can yell and scream and say how much you hate Josh McDaniel. It doesn't matter. He's in charge. He's the coach. Dave Ziegler's the GM. And we've seen the changes and what those changes have brought about with this roster, and I just don't think Hunter fits it anymore. I talked about in the first segment, right player at the right time. He's not the right player at the right time for the Raiders. To your point about being in that limbo between what they are now and what they want to be in the future. So to me, for his sake as well, it would be better off, I think, if if, the, if he could get move somewhere else and find a team that fits more with his, his ability and kind of his personality and where he fits culturally. I mean, that's anybody. I don't care what kind of job you do. You don't want to be somewhere where it doesn't fit your personality and kind of your skill set. So that said... I don't think they trade them uh, unless they get the offer they need and if they can improve their team. But certainly uh, the writing's on the wall there. And 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 you can love Hunter Renfro as much as you want. It's not going to change the fact and the reality of what's going on there. So we'll see how that goes. Mo, before we, before we cut out of here too, I know we touched about some defensive performances, especially with the backfield in the last segment. But before I forget, I want to talk as well about that defensive front. We talked about Tyree Wilson, uh, but the interior of the defense, which we saw perform really, really well in the preseason, um, struggled a little bit with that offensive line in Denver. Uh, Jerry Tillery had a couple nice moments. Uh, Max Crosby, of course, did his thing and had a sack, uh, as did Tillery. But but what did you what did you read out of that? I, I thought they struggled a little bit, um, and it didn't take any of that pressure off some of the young cornerbacks and those safeties. Uh, but I, I certainly think that despite the fact that they didn't do as well as I wanted them to do, I felt as though they gave they gave the defensive backs enough support where they should have been able to 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 contain Denver on some of those plays that leaked out for bigger bigger gains. The interior of the defensive line has to be better. I know Jerry yeah. Tillery had a covered sack. You know, in the game, but it it's it just has to be better because the Raiders weren't getting enough pressure. And that's why Russell Wilson was also efficient in his passing, why he was able to pick apart parts of the defense in certain stretches of the game is because he had time. Now, I know he's a little more he was a little more mobile than he was last year. That's part of it. He did drop weight. I believe they point this out during the broadcast that he's in the best shape of his life. You know, he said about a lot of players, but he dropped weight and he he's going to be more mobile this year under Sean Payton. But the Raiders have to be able to get more consistent pressure out of people not named Max Crosby. And I know we talked about Tyree Wilson is going to have to get some weeks under uh, get some weeks under his butt before he gets his legs under him. I want to see more Malcolm Kuntz next week against the Bills. I, I feel like he should be the guy getting the line share of the snaps because Tyree Wilson may not be quite ready to see a bulk of the snaps yet on the edge, but it, it definitely has to be better because when you have the pass rush, it'll help your secondary. Cause it, I put up a poll in my bleach report live stream. And I said, what concerns you most about the defense? Is it the tackling, the defensive penalties, the pass coverage or the pass rush? And a lot of people said the pass rush. And I agree with that saying, if the pass rush gets better, usually your pass coverage gets better because the quarterbacks have less time to pick apart your DBs on the back end. So the Raiders need to figure something out. And I, I'll go back to this, and I said this a lot last year. Bilal Nichols, man, they, they paid him, I, I believe, $7.2 million guarantee. And I hate to pick on certain guys, but his contract sticks out to me as a guy who's, who should be more of an impact player. Yeah. Didn't see a lot of him flashing yesterday. 
No, you know, no. I mentioned Jerry Tillery. You know, Byron Young missed a lot of time in in, in the offseason as well, coming off of an undisclosed injury. Maybe he comes along as the season goes along, but that young group and a mix of their veterans, it has to be a lot better against the Bills because Josh Allen, you know, Josh Allen is going to use his legs uh, on on Sunday. Yes, and and they cannot they cannot put that defensive backfield into the position they did in Denver because uh, the Bills will eat them up. Uh, with the receiving core they have, with the quarterback and his ability, it just won't go well for the Raiders. So they have to get better, uh, and that's what it is. As I said on the post game show, it's a week to week league, and so you got to take what you did in week one and be better all the way around on that defense in week two, in order to do that. I also saw, you know, a lot of folks after every game, even after wins, people want to fire coaches. Um, But give me your take. I thought, I thought the Raiders defense, especially early on, just seemed a little bit kind of, I saw some of that lack of communication, a little bit of almost, it looked unprepared for what Denver threw at them early. Did you get that same sense? And what was your I mean, it changed in the second half. They clearly made halftime adjustments, which is a big deal. And so that was good to see. So I credit the, the coaching staff for that. But but what did you make of that start and kind of what Denver did and, and what the Raiders were doing on defense? When you have a lot of turnover on one side of the ball, it's typically going to start off slow. So they have two new featured linebacks. I know the Devon Diablo was there last year, but he was hurt this whole second half of the year. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's coming back off of injury. Didn't have a ton of preseason snaps. I wanted to see him play in every preseason game, especially because he's now the quarterback of the defense. Robert Splane is new. They had Tyree Wilson playing a lot because no Chandler Jones. You know, Marcus Peters is new. Marcus Epps is new. Corian Bennett is a rookie. So when you factor in all of that turnover changes and some inexperience, you, you kind of have to expect some of that clunkiness that you that that you saw early in the game and maybe it clicks as the time goes on. So I'm looking for better communication, more fluid operation against the Buffalo Bills as they practice and correct some things in the film room. So I think with turnover, you get that. You're just hoping it looks a lot better the second time around. Yeah, absolutely. And then offensively, I saw, I thought, I thought Josh McDaniels called, called a nice game. Uh, and I thought that the, again, the, 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 the offense moved efficiently when it had to, uh, some folks were upset about Josh Jacobs not playing how they wanted him to. Again, we talked about the performance of the offensive line in the run blocking schemes. Not only that, but Josh Allen, I mean, Josh um, Jacobs, excuse me, too many Joshes. Josh Jacobs <laughs> also has a little bit of rust. I, the guy's in great shape physically, but it, there's nothing like getting hit by people, right? That's a whole different getting in shape. And so I expected Josh Jacobs not to go out there and do his normal thing against the Broncos and score uh, and and run for 140 yards or something like that. So I think he'll work his way into that. But overall, um, again, I think you'll see this this playbook open up a little more if they can establish the run. If Josh Jacobs gets a little, uh, I think, more in game shape, that only that's only going to help this offense and help Jimmy Garoppolo do better as well. I also think that's part of the reason why the Raiders are kind of torn between Bear Mumford Jr. and Jermaine Illuminar at right tackle. So there's so they did the number they did last year, ro- rotating right tackles, which yes. I can't stand when they do that. <laughs> but I think they do that because Jermaine Illuminar is a better pass blocker than Thayer Mumford, whereas Thayer Mumford is a better run blocker than Jermaine Illuminar. So this is why you get the mix and match of right tackles. And I think in the second half, the Raiders saw that Josh Jacobs 
didn't get going in the first half, and they wanted him to get going in the second half. And that's why you saw the continuation of Thea Mumford getting on the field. So they're going to have to balance, you know, what what the opposing team's weaknesses versus what they have. So let's say they're playing a team that's weak in run defense. You might see more Thea Mumford. Let's say they play a, play a team that doesn't have a very good pass rush. You may see more Jermaine Illuminar that week. I'm interested to see how they divvy up the right tackle snaps and how the run game does against the Buffalo Bills this week. Absolutely. By the way, uh, we want to hear from you. So if you guys have anything to say about anything we discussed on the show about the Raiders, what's going on, do us a favor, send us an email. You can send it to mail at silverandblacktoday.com. That's all spelled out. The and is there, obviously, in an email, silverandblacktoday, mail at silverandblacktoday.com, and we'll get your email on the air this week. Or if you want to hit us on Twitter with a DM, my DMs are open. You can send them there as well for the show, and we will get those on the air. Uh, Or if you leave the comments in YouTube, we're also there. We're watching YouTube as the show airs. I'm in there mixing it up with you guys as well. Mo comes in occasionally. So so if you want to do that, you can leave your comment there, and we'll get it on the show. We love hearing from you guys. Always great questions. Great criticisms of the show sometimes that help us get better. Um, and so we and, and compliments too. So thank you for those as well. Mo, I know the rest of the week we're in the middle of the NFL season, so so we don't have any off days. There's just stuff going on constantly. Tell everybody what's going on with your live bleacher reports this week and and the writing side of things as we roll into tomorrow into Wednesday. First of all, thank you everyone for stopping in to my Bleach Report Live on Monday as I graded some of the players on that on that live stream. I have another show coming up on Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific. We'll look ahead. We'll turn the page on on the victory. I know some people want to kind of hold on to that, but gotta turn the play, gotta turn the page. Sorry. And the first place AFC West Raiders have to focus on the Buffalo Bills, which is going to be a tougher challenge offensively. Then the Denver Broncos, so look out for that. I also have a column up on Sports Night, just kind of breaking down the Bills and what that team is now, because there are some differences. They're further away from Brian Debo being their offensive coordinator. There are some changes with Ken Dorsey. We're seeing it with Josh Allen and his gameplay. They also added Dalton Kincaid, a tight end, so dueling tight, dueling early pick tight ends and Dalton Kincaid in Buffalo and Michael Mayer in Las Vegas. So that's a matchup that I want to see. Of course, they're not playing against each other, but I want to see, you know, We'll see how they both mature after their first, after their uh, regular season debut. So a lot coming up on Bleach Report Live, a lot coming up on Sportsnet, of course, with us. I'll also try to sneak in a silver and black blitz, what I want to see more of out of the Raiders against the Buffalo Bills. There you go. So lots coming from Mo as well as the show here. We will have something for you tomorrow, Wednesday, whether it's a silver and black blitz or some mail. Uh, So stay tuned for that. Just subscribe to the show and put on the auto download. That way, every time something pops... It's there for you. Mo and I will be back with our full show on Thursday. We'll have a guest. We'll preview the bills as well. So stay tuned for information on that. Also, I will have Wednesday. I cover the Raiders media availability and do a story up on sports. Not uh, with that heading into the weekend. So make sure you stay tuned and uh, follow us on Twitter. SNB today. Mo is Mo Moten. M-O-E-M-O-E. Hello. Hello. M-O-T-O-N. I'm at LV Gully. So do that. Uh, as well. So, Mo, we will talk to you, man, later in the week. Talk to you soon. All right. For our producer, Mike Robbie, for Mo Moten, I'm Scott Branson. This has been Silver and Black today. Thank you all again for joining us, and we will talk to you very, very soon, Raider Nation.